Hey everyone, welcome to the cast. Mike and I are so glad that you're tuning in and taking part in this conversation that we're having. And to those of you who have been liking, reviewing, commenting, and sharing, we want to send out a special thanks for helping us get the word out. All of that helps us get better as a podcast and gets more people involved in shaping this conversation. On today's episode, we're pleased to welcome our church's very own Miss Cassie Wolf. She's got a lot of great stuff to say. She was a really wonderful guest, so we're super excited to share that talk with you. Enjoy. Cassie, you did listen to our episode a couple of weeks ago. Um, we talked about dating and singleness, and I think you'll have a very interesting perspective on this because you just recently got engaged. And uh, on behalf of everyone listening to the cast right now, congratulations on that. Yep. Um, that's awesome. So before you were in your current relationship, did singleness feel to you like a trap or a uh, season that you needed to get out of? Or was it just that, like another season for you? Singleness for me, honestly, has never felt um, like a negative thing. Um, yeah, when I first met Johnny, we neither of us were really like looking for a person. To me, I was kind of growing in my own relationship with the Lord at the time that I met him. And it was just this this effortless connection. And I don't think that's the way it happens for everybody or the way the right way for a relationship to start. But I was interested in um, the way he pursued God even before I was interested in him. And that was the first thing, honestly, that attracted me to him. Yeah. Do you feel like you two were kind of on the same wavelength spiritually at that time? And like, do you think that that is really what made that connection kind of stick at first? We actually definitely weren't. Um, Yeah. My story is kind of a little bit messy in that sense, but we met in a Christian studies class and I had come to Christian studies interested in learning more about theology. Um, but I came from a Lutheran background, which was very, I just didn't learn too much about having an actual relationship with Jesus. Um, but I saw that in so many of my new friends in the program and in Johnny himself, um, just a real relationship with, with Jesus. And I was attracted to that and to the Lord in these people. And yeah, so we were on different pages, but at the same time, I truly believe that God kind of prepared me for the time that I met him because I was seeking God before we even went on our first date. Um, I was intentionally seeking him. So it wasn't at all that like I was pursuing after that relationship with Johnny, but I had already been in a place where I was attracted to that relationship because I knew it would be glorifying to God. So at first, when you when you started dating, um, did Johnny approach it like, was it a date or was it just coffee? Or how did that come about? At what point did it become that you were dating? And at what point was it like a relationship? So the first time he asked me out, um, was the night after we first talked in class we went on a field trip and we 
that was the first time we actually talked was on the car ride to that field trip. And he, I, I wondered if he was going to ask me out on the car ride back, but he didn't until that night on Facebook. So that's why I laughed in that Facebook, other episode. He messaged me on Facebook. Um, and I think he, I don't think he used the word date. I think he just asked me if we could go for coffee or for food sometime. Um, and then he somewhere like in that week of asking me, he, he also referenced me as buddy. So Ooh, <laughs> buddy, <laughs> Johnny, so I was like, honestly really confused about where he was at that, um, point. Um, yeah. And even after the first date, like I was definitely interested and I felt like he was too. Um, but he didn't, I think for, I now know we've talked about it, like for the sake of not leading me on, he didn't, um, kind of refer to me as more until he like really knew that he was going to ask me to be his girlfriend. Mm. So he, he took it seriously in that sense, but I also don't think he had to like friend zone me. Mm. That's my own opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like he was a very careful man. Um, so once you, once you entered into a relationship, like a, a committed relationship, at what point did you kind of know and did he know that it was going to result in you getting married one day? Well, fun fact, I actually, the second time after we ever hung out, um, my sister picked me up and I told her, like, I just, I feel like I know that's the man I'm going to marry. And it was, we weren't even like dating yet. It was just the second time we hung out. Um, and yeah, so I feel like I, I knew early on and we definitely had like doubts, I would say more so in the beginning, Mm -hmm. just in the first few months, because we did, um, say, I love you like a month into our relationship. And, um, yeah, I feel like we were very, we were very confident mostly because, the whole time spent leading up to Johnny asking me to be his girlfriend, we like all our conversations were about Jesus. Mm. Like we didn't, we literally didn't talk about anything else. Um, and I think that's what gave me so much confidence. Um, and then it was more when we were like, Oh, like how do we actually mesh as people and our hobbies and things we do that a couple months in, I remember feeling like, is this like, how do we work actually as people? And there's more to this than just our, our amazing conversations about Jesus. Um, so I remember both of us having this little kind of period of doubt, but then we prayed about it and, um, yeah, just realized that those things weren't meant to come in between us. And, um, we're very different people in terms of like our hobbies. Like he is a sports fanatic and loves music and a businessman. And I'm, like into coffee and books and reading. Um, And so we definitely have different interests, but the cool thing is that I'm intrigued by what he's interested in because I love him and he's the same way. And it's been this real opportunity for us to learn about each other's passions um, and kind of like add new things to our lives and try to understand more why the other is passionate about that thing. So I think it adds a really cool dynamic. If you can, if you can build a foundation on Jesus Christ, it, that's all that matters. Wow. Yeah. 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 That, that's interesting because I think, um, I think guess what Mike was saying last week, he, he kind of was talking about a relationship that's going to last, you know, like 50 years, like a, a really lasting relationship. And um, it seems like 
you, you know, you ultimately came to that that beauty fades, and and some of these external, like more surface level things that you might be drawn to initially, are not what ultimately sustains a relationship. Um, do you, on that same note, do you feel like there are things other than than Jesus himself, like other than your shared faith in God, that you feel are um, helping that relationship flourish? Yeah. Um, well, one of our kind of biggest challenges and something we're very grateful for is the fact that we've had to do long distance. Um, so we've been long distance for a big part of our relationship and that has kind of forced us to have nothing but communication. Um, and it's also forced us to learn so much about each other and each other's lives now. And also, um, like our pasts. Um, and it's honestly also kind of proven to me how much I love spending time with him. So we, we really have learned not to take time together for granted and even just being together and like watching a movie or we'll do like Bible studies together. Um, yeah, like praying together, cooking together. Um, I love watching him play soccer. I haven't, I once, I once played with him like once in our whole relationship. <laughs> um, and it wasn't even like playing. I was just like a goalie for him. It's just not my thing, yeah. but maybe one day I'll get more into it. Um, he's really supportive of my dance. Um, yeah. So while we don't share the same interests, it's, it's supporting each other and, um, yeah, just caring about understanding why the other person's passionate about those things mm. that sustains, I would say, the things that aren't about faith. Yeah, and I guess, like, Mike, you'd probably argue that, you know, that level of care stems out of a godly commitment to one another, would you Would you say? Yeah, no, I think that the, the false idea that we have to love everything the same mm-hmm. um, can really trip people up because then... You know, what if you meet this amazing, God-loving, servant kind of person who just wants to give, give, but she likes ballet and I, you know, like hockey. Like, what? Right. Like that's stupid. Um, but I think that what Cassie said actually is the better thing, right? That I can love that person enough to get over my lack of interest in what they enjoy mm. and actually enjoy them enjoying it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the hardest part. Like actually this coming week, we're talking about coveting as a church and part of the little like application of coveting is, is that a coveting heart cannot enjoy when someone else is enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that kind of relational sense, it's that like, if, if the activity is not about me and what I like, then I'm not going to be happy in it. Right. And, and not only is that selfish, it's just childish. Right. So I think yeah. as mature, um, adults are growing, we should actually learn how to, to truly, like, as kind of not as ideal as it is, but I think it's actually very powerful to truly enjoy seeing our our spouse enjoy something. And I think there's so much freedom in choosing to enjoy what the other person enjoys and like enjoying it because they do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, I've learned that it's hard to kind of stay bitter about those things or not be able to enjoy it because someone else is getting happiness from it. Like that, that is good for any relationship. I think, yeah, if you love the person, like why wouldn't you not like even just make an effort to see, like you you actually said it, that you can like get to understand what they love about it because there's something in them loving it that is kind of a, an expression of who they are. And Mm -hmm. so I love, I love you. So I should also love 
who you are and any kind of expression of that. And so I think like, you might not love soccer, right? But you love uh, the passion of Johnny maybe in it or the excellence he brings to it or right. the dedication. And so there's there's more pieces to it than just the thing, right? Like for me and Emily, it's that I know she super is attracted to art and aesthetic and um, beauty. And I know when she is thinking and processing and reading and whatever, it's it's those things going off in her that actually I don't have. Like I do like good things, but like she has, you've met my wife. She is next level and her appreciation of, of excellence and aesthetic yes. and, and all that stuff. And so it's even like a learning thing. It's, it's a great, like there's so much, um, I think in there that when we get over our selfishness, yeah. it actually, it's not only that it benefits the relationship, like it's kind of self-interested because it also benefits me to learn and to grow. And, um, yeah, so I think it really is a powerful thing. So we've, we've talked a bit about, we've talked about hobbies here and, and interests, I think, uh, in a general sense. But what about things like uh, calling and purpose and, and vision and mission? How, how important is it to align on some of those things, even as people who believe in the same God and believe in God the same way, perhaps? Um, how do you support each other in your calling? And maybe even like what is your shared uh, mission and, and calling for your lives? Yeah, that's really um, interesting. I think one of one of the things that Johnny and I have always said is that if we were to ever have a fight, um, we can take comfort in the fact that in the midst of that fight, if we're on two opposite sides of a spectrum or we feel like we're arguing because we disagree about something, um, Jesus interceding for us actually has a, a final say and a word on it. And w- both of our hearts want that truth to prevail and not whatever we're kind of fighting for um, so that we can we can trust that we can pray together or separately and, um, yeah, trust that he'll bring about that truth. Um, but we've never really had to this point a, like, fight that was really um, – like bad or anything. Um, but we've always felt, um, just quite spiritually aligned. And I think our praying together and apart and kind of helping each other, um, in prayer, I think that's one of the things we're best at supporting each other in is just seeking God in, um, yeah, just his will about things. Um, that's something we're very aligned in, in being one of the most important things. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Mike, how have you found that idea of, uh, of calling and mission and, and aligning in your marriage? I think that it's actually quite a practical question for me. Like when I, I don't know if, if, if I, we talked about this a little bit last time or not, but like, I think that one of the best things you can do before you get married is have the conversation on what you're called to do or what you think you're called to do. Right. Because again, it's kind of about expectation on that point. If I have this idea for my life, so um, that I'm going to be a, so I wanted to be a church pastor, a church planner, um, and I kind of had the thought that I would do that right out of college. Um, so super young, right into it. And when Emma and I were talking, she's like, that is not how this is going to go. Um, I don't think that'd be wise. And I had a decision to make. Either I say, well, screw that. This is what I'm going to do. Or hey, you are in my life for a reason and 
probably the voice of reason, the Holy Spirit, right? And so we had to talk through that and allow that kind of conversation to happen. So was I was I wrong in um, in my understanding of my calling? Well, no. I just think that the higher calling is to my spouse, right? That if I'm going to get married, then that sort of trumps it. But uh, even even further back, like I, I knew a couple um, that one was a dairy farmer and one took international studies to go over to Asia. And I remember when they were asking me about it, I was like, well, one of you guys are going to have to kind of give on that because you can't go to Japan and have a dairy farm in Alberta. Like it's just not going to work. Um, and to say the least, they're in Alberta now on a dairy farm. And so that's what the choice was. And that's fine. Like that's, it's, it's good. But I think that that's a conversation you actually need to have very openly and honestly. And generally speaking, obviously like I would say that changes over time, right? Like I could become a pastor anywhere. So if we felt we needed to move somewhere or whatnot, we could do that. If Emily got a job, um, you know, some landed some amazing photography job over in, you know, I don't know, France, she'd probably want to go. Now the problem is I do feel called to Canada. And so that would be where we'd pray and talk about it. And if God releases us and we go. And so I just think we had a really good conversation. That's what I just don't see a lot of young people doing is they have expectations for their life, a calling they feel that they have, but then they decided kind of to talk about that once things get more serious. And it's like, if, I don't know, and this could just be my personal, you guys know me now, I'm pretty straightforward, but one of the first few dates with Emily, I was like, I'm going to be a pastor. And, you know, her dad grew up as, uh, her dad was a pastor, so she's kind of knew the life. And so I was like, that's kind of what I want. And uh, and I really wanted um, a mom first, kind of like to, to stay at home with our kids and, in in call it traditional call it whatever i just i grew up with that as a, as a son and i loved it and so i just wanted you know someone who felt like that their calling was to the children first and just we talked about it and i was like yeah i think i want to do that and so that's why like for us we have fully embraced the kind of like you know she's stay-at-home mom and loves it and feels called the best mom i know and so like i'm glad i'm glad i did that um but if she wanted to you know be a ceo 60 hour week well, number one, that's going to be really hard even just being a church planner, like where we're at. But then even just for, I kind of saw my life going. And so that I've, again, like would I have given up some of those things for her? Probably. But I wanted to have that conversation so we had clear expectations. So I think that, you know, at the beginning of a relationship, it's easier to have that before you're really invested and really in. Yeah. Now, if you're married, all of a sudden you feel like you're calling two different directions and one of you wrong, right? Like God yeah. is going to unify that. Mm-hmm. And so you got to pray about it. And there's this thing in Ephesians 5, it gets quoted a lot about marriage, and it's in the context, ironically, of mutual submission, right? Not just wives' submission. And, and so I think if we have a um, an attitude and a deference to submit to one another and to recognize that the Holy Spirit speaks to both of us, um, we will get to a point of unity. It just it comes to humility. And so I think, I think both before marriage and after marriage, um, there are some continuing conversations that need to happen and i would say in the moment you start dating someone and you think this could become marriage i'd be jumping in those conversations hey what do you think your life's going to be like what do you feel you're called to and if it's like i just feel like i want to be a pharmacist cool you, you can be a pharma, pharmacist pretty much anywhere right if especially if you feel like a specific call and so you know I, I would just i really do encourage people to have that conversation earlier on yeah to be candid it's something that um, Johnny and I have, have kind of talked about throughout our entire relationship, but never kind of solidified, I feel like. Um, and 
the first the first day we ever met was in this Christian studies class and we went around the room and shared kind of why we were in the program why we were taking the class and I was in a bit of a different space and I remember saying that like introducing myself and said I'm in this program because I want to be a pastor and um and she'd make a great pastor by the way <laughs> um is and, a great pastor she pastors people all the time. <laughs> wow thank you um yeah and Johnny um told me um like a uh that first time we talked on the field trip a couple months later um that he remembered that he could knock it out of his head that I wanted to be a pastor and that it intimidated him. And, um, yeah, that was something, um, we talked about from there. And I asked him if he'd ever felt called to ministry. Um, and he said, it's always something he'd thought about pursuing and thought would be, um, an amazing thing to do. And, um, he thought about kind of opening a discipleship school that had always been kind of a dream in his head. Um, so it's something we've, we've always talked about and talked about, yeah, that might happen, but we'll probably work in other jobs first. Um, so it's, it's kind of thanks to Mike and Emily that we're having, um, more deep conversations about what the future is actually going to look like right now. So we're really grateful for that. Yeah. And I think like what I'm hearing from Mike, especially is that God does not want to, God will not break up your marriage just because one of you feels called in one direction. Like God is God's ultimate goal is unity. So if you've got some dream of yours, like if you wonder what God thinks about it, it's not to divorce your wife. That is some good advice right there. Sam. <laughs> Seriously. Like, but I, I think for us it's cliche almost, but like, I think that's actually needed to be heard. Like the pursuit of, the pursuit of your, we started talking about it, I think in our last conversation, about self-actualization and all this different stuff. It's like, no, the moment you get married, right, the the calling underneath being a follower of Jesus is to be your spouse. No, not to be your spouse, to love your spouse. <laughs> Anyways, you know what I meant, people. Um, and I think that's what's tough for people is that we, we assume that it's, it's, you know, even in the Christian world, it, it's Jesus and then it's me and what I need to do. Then it's maybe my family. And, and no, it, it, it like, I think the proper understanding of priority and calling is the mission of God, the mission of my marriage, the mission of my home, and then the mission of my work and my call and my dreams. Like I, I've said this at, to our church, like success, if I have success anywhere outside of my home but fail at home I fail and so like that has to be the framework and so if all of a sudden God's like you know what you need to um yeah leave Emily and go become a monk like no that's bad cheerios or something right that's not Jesus talking to me about that um because I've heard the dumbest things God called me to divorce my wife and marry this new person no he didn't but we go there because it's we, we have this weird theology around God's desire to make me ultimately fulfilled through happiness, through ease, through comfort. And I think that plays itself out in many different ways. And one of them is definitely the pursuit of, you know, a disunified calling within a marriage. Um, because it's easier to just pursue my own thing than actually be unified and patient and wait and pray about it. Because it's hard. Let's be real. Well, I guess you guys aren't married, but... It's hard to sometimes be patient and to wait for your spouse to catch up to what you feel God's spoken, uh, but it'll be better for you to wait and to process together and to move as a unit 
um, as one, because you are one flesh anyway, so why, why try to rip that apart? Mm-hmm. When is the wedding, by the way, Cassie? It's January 11th, 2020. Does, um, does the anticipation, like, what does that feel like for you right now? Right now, I'm, I've got like just over a month left of my undergrad, so I've kind of mentally allowed myself to put planning and thinking about it on hold. Um, I've never been like one of those people that had like a vision of my wedding um, in my head or knew all the details or anything like that. So um, the little details aren't super important to me. So honestly, it hasn't been the wedding itself, like the day and the planning of that hasn't been this huge thing in my mind. Um, but I'm just, I definitely feel just ready to be married to Johnny. We've, we've known and talked about it for years. So that season, I feel like I'm just ready for now. So you mentioned this discipleship school. Is that what you called it? Yeah. Um, I'm just interested to hear about like what you guys think that would be like because if you guys don't know Cassie um, she has a heart obviously for spiritual formation and discipleship and pastoring people so I just when when you said that I thought like why not dig into that just a little bit just to hear your heart for what something like that could be yeah um so in talking about mine and Johnny's callings which I think are definitely quite different he has a real heart for true theology and like the importance of diving into the scriptures and he went to a bible school called Ellerslie in Colorado which he it was a discipleship training program that he took um that I know changed his life and um he sees so much value in so I think it was that experience that shaped kind of his just passion for more of those being available schools like that so yeah like a discipleship training kind of school that people would go to where there would be just intentional teaching and theological practices like prayer time um yeah probably time completely away from social media that sort of thing and then where i would differ is i don't i where where i like i definitely have a heart for true theology and and teaching it and being in the scriptures i think i'm more called to be in the trenches with people and um more of i have more of like a pastoral heart i would say um yeah so in terms of what that might look like i could see maybe both of us preaching teaching and kind of directing it but it's still very much a baby idea so i i have a i have an image in my head but we'll see cool would it be in the country in the city um, cause all those are usually out in the country somewhere. Right. And I think it'd be a really cool idea to, to create like a discipleship oasis in the middle of a city, like yeah. where, where things are literally crazy. Yes. Like, in the midst of I have, the trenches. At the end of the yeah. day, like, again, we talked about like the rhythm of our life. Yeah. You don't get to go out in the middle of a country and pet horses all day. Right. And so that's great for a season, but how do I learn how to be aware of Jesus in the course of my every day, in the middle of busy cars and streets and people? Right. And I just, just, I don't know, that, that's an idea that just as you're talking, I was like, yeah. not that you have to do that. I'm no. not trying to say anything, but no, I, like that. I just thought that as an idea, like how do we train people? And again, that's the job of local church, fine. But 
with this kind of heart that you have, I'm just, I don't know, I was just spitballing a little bit. Yeah, I think one of like the most problematic things about those kind of schools is that it's, it is like a Christian bubble and we're not called to live in a Christian bubble. So that, that is really cool. And we do feel like Waterloo is at least our, our city for now. That's one thing we're both, we both feel very strongly about. So and you are part Who of knows? a local church that could always probably use some uh, discipleship uh, yes. expressions. I'm just, I'm just saying. It seems this like a great opportunity. Good conversation. The next part of our talk focuses heavily on the spiritual disciplines. And if this is something you feel like you need more of in your life, why not join us for weekly morning prayer? That's every Wednesday morning, 6.30 a.m. at Stanley Park Community Church. It's a perfect way to start your Wednesday, and we'd love to have you join us. Cassie, you've been working on a Bible study as part of your your program for a little while now. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Just kind of your heart behind it, how it came about, and um, how you're going to be running it. Definitely. So the Bible study, um, the main reason I'm doing it is for a project for my Christian studies degree. Um, we're in a class that's like an integrative seminar, and we had to do some kind of capstone project for a degree that integrated all our learnings. So I'm a double major with English, so I had to somehow integrate um, kind of my English learnings with my Christian studies theology, and it's also called Christian studies and global citizenship. So I somehow had to integrate that as well. Um, so kind of my my thesis, if you want to call it, for the Bible study is that um, giving up or abstaining from something for a period of time um, in order to spend that time in prayer or with God, with the Spirit of God in some way, um, will make anybody a more, a better global citizen. Um, and if you want to define global citizen, I, I would really boil it down to being just a more others-focused, less selfish person. Um, so some might say that I kind of loophole integrating the global citizenship thing but that's <laughs> that's how I wanted to do it and my prof has been really um wonderful actually about going through my content and um kind of giving her feedback and yeah it's been a really amazing learning experience so the study itself um takes place on Wednesdays the in-person version is Wednesdays from 4 to five thirty at Seven Shores Cafe in Waterloo um, and then there's also an option to participate solely online. Um, so you simply sign up through my blog um, and then you will get emailed um, content for the study weekly, Wednesday nights at six o'clock. Um, and then that's kind of your accountability for when you go through the content. Um, there's some kind of video teachings in there, um, discussion questions. From you? No, okay. there's one from you and then some other cool. kind of... Um, I think you should make some videos. You'd be good on video. Wow. That's really kind. I, yeah, I thought about it, but I, I don't really know how next to do time. that. Figure yeah. out whatever it is. Yeah, next Why not replicate time. this model? <laughs> um, yeah. And then each week has kind of like a little challenge for the week. Um, and then each week is focused on a different aspect of, um, the study. So there's focus on like, why do we pray? Um, what is, what is an actual fast and why, what we're doing isn't 
fasting. Um, so like checking the wording on that, but, um, just more of like a spiritual discipline as Micah said. Um, and yeah, how to kind of incorporate spiritual disciplines in our daily lives. Is there, is there any significance to you, um, around the fact that you're kind of running this study during the season of Lent? Honestly, I, that wasn't originally like my plan or it wasn't the heart behind it in any way, but yeah, I had the, the heart and the just kind of prayer that this was the topic I wanted to do and that I wanted to do a Bible study. And then it just, it kind of just happened to fall in Lent. So then I decided I'd just run it as seven weeks that happened to make sense. And it just fit to be honest. Yeah, because I um, so off mic before this, we were we were talking about Lent a little bit and how it's a very uh, a very Catholic thing, and basically how you know Jesus probably wasn't crucified you know on Easter, and so a lot of this calendar date stuff is really not rooted in anything specific. But I do I like this practice. I like that you're not calling this Lent. But you are you're ultimately trying to produce a lot of the same things that I see as being good about Lent, in that people are spending time with God, in the spiritual disciplines, fasting, um, giving up things, really just trying to be renewed daily by spending time with with the Holy Spirit. So I I, I do I like the approach a lot I think. And Mike, um, do you have any particular thoughts about um, just kind of this dedicated season, the idea of a dedicated season of fasting and spending time with the spirit maybe not lent but um just this model well i think like you said the good things that come out of a liturgical calendar is it kind of kind of makes it almost automatic like you know this is coming it's part of what you do because that that is a good thing about liturgy is its habits and we habitual people and routine is very important to how we function in all things and so i think there is a benefit of that um i i do think that the the potential for religious observance versus actual renewal is very prevalent like giving up lent or giving up lent, giving up chocolate for lent is is not going to do what you think it's going to do right. it may get right. some sugar out your system which is great mm. but like giving up one tiny thing as much as you love it like in that sense you're you're not venturing to the depths of your spiritual yes. uh, development yes and so i think what we've made it a lot of times on a cultural level um because a lot of cultural christians who would you know do something like that um feel real spiritual and, and again do can god meet them there a hundred percent he's yeah. gracious he's good i'm sure there are moments where people really connect and that's great but generally speaking i think we've actually kind of lost the point by making it about this kind of statement of, well, here's what I've given up for Jesus. Right. When really the backfire of the liturgy could be that my life should be that. Yes. And like, that's why like I've always wanted to do, even for our church, like a 21 day fast or whatever fast. And I think it'd be valuable or a 40 day Lent fast, whatever connected to any season. But I think that I would rather have that the rhythm of our life right. first and then have different seasons. Like I, And it could be backwards. Maybe I could be completely wrong, and I'm willing to admit that, that maybe doing seasonal things first to get people used to the idea and then extending it out could be the right way. But I don't know. I've just always thought that if I'm not going to be fasting 
as a, as a regular spiritual discipline, then once those 21, once those 40 days are over, then what? Right. Like, like what am I planning on continuing? So for me, like, I'm pretty open about it. Like, my rhythm is I'll fast Tuesdays at lunch um, every week. And, you know, once I feed the kids breakfast, I don't eat till the end of the day and dinner time for making my family that. And the time I go and I pray and I think about the church, think about Jesus and, and do that um, so that it's not just a special thing. It's a routine of my life. And so I just I just think that the way that I've seen it practiced, generally speaking, in a kind of a cultural sense, doesn't really do what I think it should do. Mm-hmm. Um, other than give potentially and I mean and I say this as humbly as I can. Like I honestly mean that. Because I know there are those people who will be genuine in it. Other than giving a sense of spiritual accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the opposite point of this, right? Sure. It's to connect with the suffering of Jesus, to think deeply about the sacrifice of Jesus. And, you know, and that extends to a lot of it. Like, I know um, one of the things that Cassie's dealing with is fasting specifically and how that works in our life. And, you know, me and her have had conversations around what does the fast look like and what does it mean and what can you actually legitimately fast and what can't you fast. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think there's a heart. Um, then there's a practice and then there's, you know, what, what God intends and somewhere in the middle, we have to kind of find our spot, but yeah. Yeah. So, so I am actually, I want to hear your perspective now, Cassie, I'm curious, like what has been your experience with fasting and, and kind of how have you seen growth maybe in your spirituality, um, with through that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, like I said, I grew up in a Lutheran church and I remember, um, not in any way to like down or bash the Lutheran church, but um, just thinking of Lent as not at all the way I was taught about it, at least it wasn't something that was, yeah, um, sacrifice for Jesus. It was, I remember one time hearing it, I don't remember where, but just um, kind of talked about or coined as becoming like the best version of yourself by like getting rid of this thing. And um, I remember growing up, my idea of Lent was, I remember a friend telling me she was giving up pop or whatever it was and, and, oh, I'm doing it for Lent. And that, um, yeah, that's all I kind of thought of it. It it was about you and how to improve you and nothing else. And so, yeah, my heart behind this was that it, it can be something else. And one of probably the most challenging thing about structuring it was that when I was starting it, I had to decide um, really who the audience was going to be. And I wanted to allow anybody to participate of any beliefs, anybody who has just been maybe seeking, um, to know more about creation and they, they don't have like religious affiliation of any kind. Um, so deciding to do that and then structuring the content, it made it a lot more difficult to keep it so open-ended because I also want people who are already, um, you know, in a relationship with Jesus and, and Christians to participate as well and to get something from it. Um, so yeah, I, I structured the first week in talking about the things that, um, we wouldn't want to fast or abstain from for this. And that a good example is that, um, if you're, like when praying about what to fast, because for the first week, everybody's just going to spend time praying about what that could be. Um, and there's talk in the content about um, how to go about like listening to the Holy Spirit and doing that. Um, and that 
just yeah understanding that he's gonna guide and that it should be something that the presence of it you you miss greatly in your life um but for example like if someone were to fast food and they had a thought in the back of their head like oh like maybe i'll like lose weight or get healthier or some kind of selfish thought within that then that's probably not the thing they should fast it should be something like oh i really don't want to to get i i feel like i'm really gonna miss this um something that's a genuine distraction from time with god so so one of mike's hot takes a couple weeks ago was that instagram fasts aren't fasts but like if there's distractions in my life social media is definitely one of them and it's something that i i reach for instinctually when i pull out my phone and i mean i i could pull out the U version bible app if i wanted when i reach for the for the instagram feed spend just as much time you know maybe i'll i'll read some psalms and i'm sure that would feed my soul a whole lot better than browsing people's photos so i mean there's the notion that the fast is something that is essential. So like food, for example, like you need to eat to survive. So I'm giving up something that is an essential part of my functioning. But like Instagram isn't inherently bad, but it's definitely inessential. Like it, it's not essential. And I don't know, like that is a weird one, like by the specific criteria, this, the way fasting is understood. But I also feel like that would be way more beneficial to me than giving up food. Well, I think that if, so here's the concession I would make. I've been thinking about this because I knew we were going to talk about it. Is that if someone was trying to figure out for the first time jumping into a kind of fast to get the heart of it, Sure. Social media fast, if you need to do that. Entertainment fast. Although I would not want to call it that. but Or medical issues, because there are people who literally like should not yeah. you know, abstain from certain foods or whatnot. Mm. Um, but like, and this just might be my, you know, old soul take on it. But like, if, if you are in a place with your phone that you need to be fasting it, then that's just called poor time management. You need to get some significance back into your minutes. Because like at the end of the day, right, the amount of time we scroll. So I don't want to talk about this too much, to be honest, because I'm talking about on Sunday and I want to, you know, save the, the good so stuff for Sunday. Sunday anyway. Actually, After true. service. This goes so live post-service. So you're just going to get it redone a little bit here. Um, right? Like at the end of the day, right, we know that social media, it, it was made for connection, but we've made it a coveting tool. That's kind of what it's become, right? I, I scroll, I get lost, I see what I'm missing, got to see how awesome their life is, whatever. And and I'm just saying, like, if if I can, if I spent the same amount of time scrolling that I did in the Bible, right? Or I did put it to creative and a new endeavor. If I did put it to writing, blogging, whatever your thing is, like, how much better and more would you be? So to me, that's that's not a that is a spiritual issue, but in more of a purpose and time management way versus I need to fast this thing. Like, you do not need. You don't need social media in your life at all. Yeah. Now, we've talked about this before missionally that you know that is where people gather, so we should have a kind of presence on social media, hundred uh, percent. But I don't think it, if it's if you're in the place where the thing you think instantly this thing should be the thing that I fast, and it comes to your phone, you need to check your heart on your phone in general. Like that's just you're not you're not doing life well at that mm-hmm. point, point. and that's me at times. To be real, like 
there, there, there's been seasons in my life where like, I know I spend way too much time on my phone, then complain about how I'm not being productive enough. Well, no duh. Right. Like, right. and so the fix of that is not a fast. The fix of that is grow up right. and, and figure out that my life has more responsibility to it, that my kids matter more, that my wife matters more, that my sermon matters more. Yeah. Um, so I, that, that's where I get on that kind of like rant a little bit on that one is because I don't think that it fulfills the actual heart because it's not really about being distracted from God. It's, it's, it's hungering for him more than what I normally function as um, in, in some essential capacity, right? That's why like, you know, it's usually it's food. It's it's even there's people who would fast water, um, not very long because then you die. But you know that those food fasts typically are the pattern because, like, we know that we do need to eat to live, but we don't live on bread alone, as Jesus said. And so it is that kind of space where I enjoy it. And this is kind of like, you know, part of the I think the psychosomatic nature of it is your stomach does pain when you're hungry mm-hmm. and it, it is kind of an annoying pain it's right there all the time and mm-hmm. the way that i handle that like on a tuesday is like as i'll god i want to hunger for you as much as i'm hungering now and that's the prayer that i pray right, right. and so i and again so fasting social media here's the thing and maybe this is where i go maybe this is just me having this cathartic moment of why it won't work for me but if i'm fasting like there's no way in my day, I'm praying for as much time as I spend on social media. I'll just be real, right? Like for all the time I scroll and just sit there and watch a YouTube video or whatever, right? I know I'd fill that with Netflix or some dumb thing. Like I'd have to cut out everything and then spend that time praying or with Emily or whatever, right? right? And that's assuming that I, like I'm not a reader. Like people think tend to think I'm because I'm a pastor and you got to read. But like I force myself to read and I get bored about it really quick. And then I'd end up eating more or something like it's it, it, to me, it's about recognizing that purpose in my life. And so that's where like, I just don't think it, it can be beneficial. I won't go that far to say it's not a good thing, but I just think if you're at the place where the immediate thought is I need to fast social media, you have other problems going on mm-hmm. with distraction, with, with your, on your relationship to your phone. For sure. Right. And so that's how, where, where I would come on it. Easy way in, sure, first step, but, right. you know, if you've been a Christian for a while and you've, like, social media is, like, the lowest rung on that ladder for me. Right. And I think, like, I'll humbly admit that I've, th- this study has grown into something that it wasn't initially because I, I definitely agree with everything you just said. Um, and I think when I was kind of looking at, okay, what is going to reach, what is actually going to reach people that, that, that think that like social media is, um, a a good use of time or the scrolling, you know, is kind of an addiction, um, for them. People, people that don't know Jesus or know, um, time with him. And so just something that might actually, reach those people and something that kind of fed into it was a study called the Minnesota starvation diet and it was a group of people that were in a war a group of men and they were starved in that war when they came back they were they had no interest in food like were not hungry at all and you would think maybe that people that were starving would just when they had access to food would just want to eat everything um, but they had no interest in it at all and 
it took like little by little um, just bits of food for them to then be like ravenous for more food. So I've always kind of found that interesting and, and sort of experienced it myself that you need to um, just be fed a little bit to to be hungry, um, especially when it's been a long time. If we are starved for like a day or something, then we're going to want to eat everything. But if it's been a long time of just this drought, and that's kind of the people I wanted to meet, people that have been in a drought for so long, how do you actually reach those people? And yes, in so many amazing cases, it can just be one encounter with the Holy Spirit. Um, but when it's, okay, these people, it... it there's this person that I want to bring to church and it's just having these conversations. They, they're, it's not working They're They don't want to come to church. Um, maybe it's this little by little being fed and then there's this great hunger. Um, yeah. I don't know if that made sense. That made a lot of sense to me. Like that was, that's fascinating. I'm going to go off topic a little bit because I actually want to go back to something kind of interesting that Mike was talking about. Um, just the idea of reading a book as being a productive use of time because I, I was thinking about this last year when I was watching Beauty and the Beast. And in that movie, in that movie, everyone criticizes Belle for being like in books all the time and, and just like wasting her time reading books. So it, it, it's kind of like, and actually another another movie too is Pan's Labyrinth. Um, that's a kind of a darker fantasy movie, but there, there's this like antiquated idea that like reading books was like a waste of children's time that they were and it was almost like the social media of its day because it's, it was so inward it's just you know i'm spending time alone cut off from the world not really doing anything productive in this book other than learning um i would argue reading a book is probably a much better way to learn than social media but um wh like why is it that we've just like changed our perspective on reading and study and putting information in our heads um, over the course of the last century, it seems like. I'm no historian, so uh, here's my uh, off-the-cuff opinion. Sure. <laughs> Not the opinions of Risen City, just Mike. Um, well, no, I think I, I would disagree with you in that we have switched that. I think we've just hopefully become more balanced in the sense that, you know, if you're going to spend your day all day just reading books for the sake of reading books and not interacting with people, that is a waste of your time, right? So what's the heart motivation in it, right? Like I think you there's more to life than, than you know, gaining an infinite amount of knowledge. Like I think we need to be curious people and be constantly doing that. But yeah, if, if our life is consumed in just in books and never actually engaging with people, then there is a uh, an imbalance there. And so I think that, you know, I do think that reading a book is probably a better use of your time, right, than simply scrolling on social media. But again, what is, if it's about learning, then, you know, articles, blogs, like there's ways to do that online that you'd already be the same thing. So for me... It's kind of the conversation of like what I'm reading is what's the point of this book? Why am I reading it? What's the, what, what do I want to gain out of it? Even if it's fantasy, like that's the thing. Like I've really been challenged by C.S. Lewis in this that like he really had this appreciation, deep appreciation for the fantasy and the imagination and engaging that even as an older um, adult and how I've never been like that. And so even if I'm reading a book that seems like a not practical waste of time to me, 
I know that the reason why I'm reading it is to engage those parts of my brain I don't normally use. And so I do think there is utility in a lot of that stuff. It's just if it consumes me, it's like any idol, right? It's like it's any kind of a, a self-absorbed thing. And so, you know, I would say that part of the stereotype in Beauty and the Beast was a little more, you know, gendered. But um, in, in this case, I would say that, you know, reading a book for the sake of reading a book it could be just as distracting from your purpose, but you cannot, I don't think, fully accomplish what you're made to do without learning and being curious. And so you have to keep doing that. So it's it's not one or the other. I think it's, it's I think maybe we've become more balanced, hopefully. Because even the interesting, like, is, you know, I loved school. I loved, um, especially the higher levels, like fourth year kind of classes where it's a lot of discussion-based and anthologies and reading from a wide variety of authors and just sitting there and discussing all day. And I could do that forever, right? Sit around, make podcasts, whatever. But like, if I don't go, and you could argue that's advancing the mission of God in some way, and it is. But if that's all I did, just read and then talk about it, I feel like I'd be missing on so much of the kingdom of heaven that I'm meant to bring that, and that could be a personal thing. Maybe there are people, because there are scholars who do that all day, and they actually bring a lot of value. And so I think it also becomes your calling. Mm -hmm. So it becomes your capacity, your season, your limitation, your boundary, all those things that we've talked about at church a lot um, that could give you maybe the space for that. Where for me, I know I can't. If I did that all day, it would be selfish um, and a waste of the calling that God has in my life. So, Hmm. Yeah, I think... um I definitely agree, and I think that in it's clear that kind of in our day, reading and doing anything that's not on a screen or like on social media looks like this like better thing, um, which yeah just isn't true because it's still if it's right if it's reading a book for the sake of reading it um, and for my learning um, or enjoyment then it's it's not um, like a better thing necessarily better than scrolling for sure. Um, but I do also think that God can really use those things and and um, kind of use books and things like that to teach us. And actually, mm-hmm. I was not one of those kids that wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter. Um, and I got the... I never read or watched those movies, oh, guys. Well, so Harry Potter... they're all demonic. They're really not. <laughs> this of is the, the one fight that I've come... <laughs> fight-ish that Johnny Cash and I have is going to get fighting. <laughs> you guys ready for this? <laughs> because Harry Potter is really important to me because I I got the books um, for my ninth birthday and I always had thought they were weird. Um, but I, I, that night I started reading the first one and I read the whole first book that night and thought it was amazing. Um, and that was when I had just started reading the Bible and started saying that I wanted to be a pastor and learn more about ministry. Um, and I, I've always, I'm an English major and I've always loved reading. And I started like highlighting different parts of Harry Potter and kind of relating them to different parts of my Bible. And that kind of became the first theological thing that I did as a kid, I guess. There's so much. You just messed up a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) there's there's so much jesus in harry potter that's yes i've had this debate with a lot of people yeah uh yeah do we want to get into that right now (laughs) i'm just kidding um no i and i do think though something that is important uh that cassie kind of brought out that i don't think i've focused enough on is that there is 
an element of reading, hopefully. This is okay, because I have kids, so I'm trying to build some of my kids. Well, Emily mainly is trying to build some of my kids because she's a reader, I'm not. That part of reading is enjoyment in a sense of like, I want to read a good story. Like, we are storied people. Yeah. But I think if it's only ever that, that is the problem, right? It's same thing like with working out. Working out's great, but if it consumes your life, it's an idol and it's going to keep you from actually flourishing. Um, and so it's just recognizing that like, I, I think it's just about intentionality for me. Maybe it's like, I'm reading this because I know I'm just wanting to enjoy part of creation. Like yeah. this is a creative and an art that I want to, I want to enjoy art. Like I would music or a movie. Um, and that's why like, I, and that's actually the harder thing for me is enjoying art. That's not a book without feeling guilty about it. Yeah. Ironically, because just to watch a good story, it's a movie. In movie form, it feels like I'm, it's a cheap form of art yeah. for some reason, right? Because like it's a like... A lower form of consuming. Right? And I've had to deal with that, like, even, like, on my day off. So I take Mondays as my day of rest. And being okay with sitting there and actually watching a really good movie and allowing just the enjoyment of that has been a journey, actually, as weird as it is, because it doesn't feel like it's productive, which is sort of kind of the point of a Sabbath is you don't produce, you rest. So it's a bigger issue, but just that idea of like, it'd be easier for me to read a book and feel like that was a good activity yeah. versus a movie or listen to like a whole album or something. Cause it just feels like that's somehow a waste of my time. But recognizing that there is a piece of enjoyment in the human creative endeavor that we should take pleasure in as well. Just not as an all consuming, you know, aim kind of, kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. To kind of bring it back around a little bit. We were talking about fasting before and we kind of talked about social media on one end of the spectrum and then food on another end of the spectrum. But I mean, surely there are a lot of things other than food that can be fasted. And Cassie, I'd love to get some of your thoughts on some of those things kind of in light of what we just talked about. What are some other ideas for fasting that people could explore? Um, another thing that actually prompted me to go for this topic was a conversation I don't want to um, disclose her personal information but with a girl that I had who um, just had some very kind of tangible habits in her life that she knew weren't life-giving and were kind of ritualistic and um, I was talking to her about um, seeing giving those things up as being a part of um submitting to what she knew was true in her life which was that she was free from those things that um jesus himself wasn't calling her to those things and i asked her if she was aware of that that um jesus wasn't calling her to be doing these habitual things and she said yeah she couldn't understand that that was true um and that mulling that over that that was that was true she was free from doing those things um allowed her to break free from them and that she's been free from these things um so even that some of the language around this giving things up that aren't in alignment with truth can be such a breakthrough for some people. I'm really kind of believing for that. So I think, I think for some people it might be that first step of fasting and social media, like Mike was talking about that first, um, kind of learning about God. Um, and then for others, it might be something really big. That's, um, a breakthrough in understanding that just because my mind has trained me that I have to do this thing or that this is somehow a part of my truth. What does Jesus actually say about this? And it's actually called, I believe, because if we believe in 
the God of miracles, then we are going to want to spend all our time with him. And we should, we should want to spend time learning about him and talking to him and understanding his spirit better. And yeah, so I think the first week we talk about how it, it kind of all starts with believing in that, um, if the person enrolled in, in the study feels like they're not in a place where they fully believe yet, that's okay. But just that my little disclaimer is that they're going to get the most out of this when they say, I, I have faith that Jesus is real and is who he says he is. Wow. That's awesome. Um, Mike, do you have any uh, kind of thoughts on, on fasting as well? Um, things that you've done in the past, things that you've, you've put into place maybe beyond, beyond food or, probably not social media in your case, but, <laughs> um, well, I think like, to be honest, if you generally study the scriptures, the major fasts are all about food, yeah. um, different kinds of different diets, different things, different, like, you know, you're fasting meats and sweets, sort of like a kind of Daniel kind of fast with veggies and fruits, things like that. Then there's liquid fat. Like there's, so again, are those diets or fast, whatever. Um, but I would say that again, it depends on where you're at. Like, if, if you're someone, like I know a family uh, that does a weekly rhythm of like a, they call it a tech fast. So phones, TVs, it's all off um, from like, I think it's a Sunday afternoon to a Monday afternoon kind of a thing. Or maybe it's Saturday. Anyways, a day for their family takes off and that's a family rhythm. And again, I think that, that that'd be fine to call a fast in the general sense. Like I don't want to be too, you know, strung up about it. Uh, but I do think the majority of, of the Bible speaks to food-based fast because of its role in our life and what do we do. And so, again, if you need to, like, I'm fully on board. Um, Sam and I have talked about this, about the idea of, like, the discipline of abstaining, right, in, in, in um, being in um, solitude away from certain things, even people. Like, but I don't, I don't think you do a people fast. You just go into solitude um, for a time. And, and people talk about, like, fasting, speaking. Well, no, that's called silence. It's a discipline of silence. Like, we have a name for that. And, and so I think the rhythm of abstaining disciplines, right, fasting, silence, solitude, separation, um, are good. And we should have those in. So maybe that's just where, because I, you know, I've read about some of this stuff and thought about it, that I have maybe some language that other people might not have. And so fasting just makes the most sense. Um, but that's where I sort of go with it. That like, it's, it's what are you doing? And then what's the heart of it? And at the end of the day, every discipline is about creating space in our life to be closer to Jesus and to hear from him and to, you know, I, I abstain from certain things to create space for him. And I engage in certain things to be in an environment where I can meet him. And so that's how I kind of view the rhythm of discipline. It's, it's, it's abstaining and engaging. And so engaging certain activities, prayer, um, scripture, community, worship, where I'm engaging that activity or, or abstaining. I'm silent. I'm, I'm away. I'm fasting. Um, you know, even Paul talks about couples not having sex to pray and only for a small time. And would I call it a sex fast? I, I don't know. I'd just say it's a season of abstaining for whatever, right? Like, cause again, no one's ever tied from not having sex. So it's not like it's an essential part of, I know this is going to be controversial. It's not an essential thing for humanity to have, other than to produce babies in the course of marriage, of course, whatever. Um, although you could argue that it's essential to a marriage. So anyways, I thought about that too. It's like any, different topic, different topic. Um, so I, I, I would argue that I'd rather someone 
have rhythms of discipline, habits of discipline, um, that is along the lines of abstaining. I think it, I think abstaining disciplines are actually very powerful and in a world of consumption, very necessary. And that's where I would go with it. Like if I if I've had someone talking to me and they're like, well, I think I want to, you know, have this kind of fast. I want to fast chocolate or whatever. Fine, cool. Um, I want to just make sure their heart understands it and what they're trying to do because it's not just not like it's like. And this is maybe where 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 even my language is a little bit confused and I need to think deeply about it but like in the abstaining disciplines it's not just that I don't do this it's that there is a replacement it's yeah. it's it's I'm 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 not eating so I can pray so I'm not cooking preparing and cleaning because I can be in prayer um, I'm I'm going to be in silence so I can let the spirit speak I'm going to be in solitude so I'm not distracted um, by everything around me I'm, I'm alone I'm with like Jesus did over and over again and so it's not just, you know, doing life normally without this one thing. It's intentional breaks in my routine uh, to be routine with Jesus. And so as long as that's the heart, like I think, call it what you want. I think the more mature we'd get in the faith, I think we'd have better language around some of it. But at the end of the day, like you know, you, our church is, is, you know, we talk a lot about you know, the, the spiritual fruit, spiritual gifts, and spiritual disciplines as sort of our expressions of faith. And we need to capture these things in a way that is truly about getting to the place where um, heaven can truly get a little more into our soul, where, where the Spirit of Jesus can truly speak. And sometimes that is, I need to shut the noise out. And so then, sure, fast social media, whatever, call it that. Again, asterisks. Um, but yeah, so, so I think it's hard to argue and people maybe have, maybe haven't read the literature yet, but it's hard to argue, I think directly from scripture that, that fasting traditionally is anything but food. But again, I guess the principles of abstaining disciplines could apply wide. Well, they should apply widely. So I might just being a semantic stickler and that's fine. If you know me, then you, <laughs> then you know that, that I like to doing that. Um, but I think in this case, it actually is kind of important to me. And that just may be my personal theology. Like, so I'll give you a really good example. So if I'm preaching on Sunday morning about fasting, which I have in the past, right? I will say, you know, take a break from social media. Um, mainly because I know that in the room, there are those who would, yeah, not believe yet. And it just might be, oh, that's a cool idea. Maybe I should try that. And I, we obviously would encourage them to fill that space with prayer, but that's only because I know that the audience I'm speaking to um, needs to hear certain things. So even if I'm presenting a theology of, of abstaining and, and fasting and I use language that's more general, I'm actually doing that very intentionally to include everyone in the room. Um, and so if I had like a one-on-one discipleship after, I'd be like, okay, this is what I mean by these things. And I'd be a little more delineated, I think. But again, that's also like, because I'm, I like theology, I like philosophy, I like language and I like doing that. So for the average person, call it fast, fine. I'll concede to that. I just think that there are more helpful ways of understanding some of that stuff linguistically. Yeah, and I think the key thing you said is that it's not about um, the fast itself or the doing. It's about what what's the replacement. And I think the same way that we're, we're saved by grace, not by works, it's not 
whatever anyone chooses to abstain from it's it's not the work of doing that at all and and there's nothing like spiritual or super holy about oh i'm doing this like social media fast or i'm doing i'm fat i'm doing this daniel diet or whatever it's not about that work of the person it's about the grace that can come from more time spent with god that that jesus can fill up the space of that person because they're spending more hours in a day on this earth with him to fill them up and, and focus on his spirit. Um, so I think it's that the idea of producing that time and, and giving people the time and space to do that and just kind of an outlet for it. Um, but yeah, like when I, I've thought about it and like Jesus opinion of a social media fast is like, it's kind of like really like if we're calling it a, a fast like you you just like you said like you you're at this point where you like you've you're so addicted to your phone that you need to call it a fast to spend time with me like that that is very sad um we're blessed by his grace and unconditional love but um yeah the the wording is something i've been challenged to go deep with and to learn about so i'm i'm grateful for that because i definitely wouldn't call yeah, anything but food, a, a fast. Uh, Cassie, I just want to say I'm really like pumped about what you're doing here. And um, it's something I actually look forward to. I can't participate in it, unfortunately, while you're running it uh, at the moment, just due to my schedule. But it's something I look forward to taking home for myself and, and uh, sitting with and, and reflecting on um, when you make that available. So yeah, I just want to say congratulations on, on doing this, on getting it going. And also... Um, if you want to let people know how they can get involved again, like where, where do we find you on the web? So to sign up for the online portion of the study, um, the link to all the info is cassiescookery.com. Um, and then the homepage will have the, um, information. And then at the bottom, there's a link to click just a short, um, registration form. I really just need your email from that form. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Cassie. Really appreciate you having you on. And um, I, I really think people are going to get a lot out of taking part in this study. So thanks for your insights today. <laughs>